everybody. Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jesse. Tim, how's it going, sir? You know, pretty darn good. We got a good interview coming up out of the way. Uh, had a fun weekend and made a slow cooker chicken for dinner tonight. Oh, yeah? How did the chicken turn out? Pretty good. Skin could have been crispier, but live and learn. Yeah, but you know what, though? Like you said, you live and learn, and thankfully this time you're not using maple syrup and sugar to be baking with. Yeah. I was an idiot exactly once. Yeah. And I learned from my mistakes. That is true. So, Tim, you just mentioned the interview that will be coming up pretty soon. Said interview is... Said interview we just did a few minutes ago was our interview with National Podcast Network and Brotherly Pucks, Daniel Esch. So, I mean, you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it as a really fun, really good interview, which it was, and we're very happy with it. Or you can look at it as, as a chance for us to kiss our network boss's ass, basically. Ass kissing is what it was. I know. I never thought at 27 years old I'd still be kissing my boss's ass, Tim. Wait a minute, I've never... what life is in general? <laughs> So, Tim, let's talk about today's episode. Today's episode is Season 3, Episode 18, in chronological order, Episode 72, the Thomas Shabbat episode. So, let's quickly talk a little bit about Thomas Shabbat. He was drafted 18th overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2015. He is currently in his third season with the Ottawa Senators, and he has recorded 28 goals, 82 assists for 110 points in 189 games for Ottawa so far in his career. So, Tim... Before we go on to talk about Thomas Shabbat and our favorite moments and everything about the guy, can we take a minute here for a second to just talk how great that 2015 first rounder was? Now, when talking about the 2015 draft, I think, given that it's been five years now, I think this is a draft that we will look back as this is what the next 10 the 12 years of the NHL is going to look like. Because, no, like I said, I brought up the draft right here. And obviously, one and two is obvious. It was Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel going to Edmonton to Buffalo. But if you look outside of that, no, obviously Dylan Strom went to Arizona with number three. But if you look at picks four to ten, here are some of the players that got drafted, okay? Mitch Marner went to Toronto. Noah Hannafin went to Carolina. Pavel Zaka went to New Jersey. Ivan Provolov went to Philadelphia, Zach Rulinski went to Columbus, Timu Meyer went to San Jose, and at number 10 going to Colorado, Miko Rantanen. Man, think of that. That's the top 10 right there. What an amazing top 10 Boston right there. somehow screwed up that draft hard. They had three picks, 13 to 14. The only thing they have to show for it is Jake DeBrusque. Funny thing is, they had three, they had three picks. 13, 14, and 15, and like you said, Jake DeBrusque went number 14. But when you look at it, it this is not just a top-heavy draft. This was a solid draft all around because, like I said, you look at the number of players that were taken, and like I said, outside of number 10, you have Jake DeBrusque being taken 14, the Islanders taking Matthew Barzell at number 16, Kyle Connor going to Winnipeg number 17, Thomas Shabbat going to Ottawa at 18, Colin White going to Ottawa at 21, Elia Samsonov to the Capitals, Brock Besser to the Caps, Travis Konecki to the Flyers, and also Anthony Bullivue 
to the Islanders, which, uh, that's okay, it's an alright pick. But, when you look at the second round, the second round's even not that bad, because Mackenzie Blackwood went to New Jersey, Sebastian Ahu went to Carolina. Like, man, like, I... And this is the one thing I... Harlow was from that draft, too. He is, and this is the one thing I love about doing the show, and... To talk about these other drafts when we talk about our cover athletes, because I get to learn a lot. And I didn't realize until looking back just how good of a first round 2015 really was. Yeah. And it's insane that it looks like if I was just going to quickly do it in my head, the average amount of games played already for that draft class is 200. That's a pretty fair estimate. I mean, honestly... And like you said, Boston's the one that really lost because think of how their team would look now if they had taken Jake DeBrusque as well as one of or two of three out of Matt Barzell, Kyle Connor, or even Thomas Shabbat. Think of how different the Bruins would look today if they had taken two of those three with those picks. They'd be unstoppable. Oh yeah, they would be bending teams over to their will. Well, more so than they already do, Tim, but, you know. I think that was Don Sweeney's first season in the seat as well, though. It was, and... I'll I'll grade him on a curve on that one. True, but you know what? You would think because he has a group of people around him that would say, you know what, I think we should go this route and draft these players. You know whose group of people that was, though? Yes, I know. It was Cam Neely, but come on, Cam. You know, I was saying it was a group partially assembled by Shirelli. Okay, that's actually a good point, Tim. (laughs) So, Tim, let's talk about next week's cover athlete poll, because next week's episode is Season 3, Episode 19, in chronological order, Episode 73. Now, we've got two players on the board. We've got Yarko Rutu and Guillaume. La That's a blast from the past among players that, well, Yarko Rutu was pretty serviceable for the Senators, but Guillaume Latondres, as we were saying, you put him in the folder. Yep. Of players that I only know because of the EA Sports games. Very much so. Now, one player that I, I remember both in the AA games and as an Ottawa center is Thomas Shabbat, who's our cover athlete. So let's talk a little bit about him. Like, the one thing I always noted about Thomas Shabbat, and I think it became very evident after his passing, was that Brian Murray really put Ottawa in a decent position draft-wise by taking Thomas Shabbat in number 18. Yeah. It's incredible just how prescient the Senators are, and I think uh, both Brian Murray and Pierre Dorian get very good credit at finding good defensemen in the draft. Uh, Cody Cece notwithstanding, but... uh, No, but the thing is is that Cece was actually a pretty decent prospect at one time, and and I know people who had seen him with the 67s had told the Sens, if you like Drew Doughty, you're going to like Cody Cece because he reminded them so much of him. But I think it's, and that's an obvious, we've talked about so much about their player development and what they've done with guys like Lazar and Cece and Jared Cowan and whatever, right? But Shabata, one of those guys, and you remember when we called him up in 20, what year did we call him up? 2017, 2018? I was very hesitant to bring him up so early because I was thinking, 
you know what, guys? We've seen this before, right? We saw it with CeCe. We saw it with Ben Harper. We saw it with these defensemen who were really good. Well, obviously, Harper's not really that great of a defenseman, but we've seen it with players like that who were very young. We bring them up, and we put them in a position where they can't succeed. And then he scores two goals in his first game against the Islanders. That's like, yeah, holy like, oh. crap, this guy's good. Well, it's also, remember, just, and I think that's probably, that game is uh, probably one of my best memories of uh, Thomas Shabbat, just because it's, he just comes in and it's a statement game right off the bat. Yeah, and that was a game that, I, I remember watching that thinking, like, like you said, it was a statement game. But for me, I looked at it kind of the other way. I was thinking, okay, that's just one game. Anybody can have just one good game. I want to see how he does night after night after night. And constantly night after night after night, we got those kind of performances out of him. And that's like, okay, like my opinion is really starting to shift on him and maybe he is ready to be called up. And actually one of my favorite moments of Thomas Shabbat, and there's actually two of them, because one was with the World Juniors, because people tend to forget nowadays Thomas Shabbat was the World Junior MVP. The same year Connor McDavid was with the World Juniors. That's honestly insane. Yeah. Just saying. She bought over McDavid. <clears throat> Excuse me. But my favorite NHL moment so far, and I know you talked about his performance against the Islanders in his very first game. For me, my favorite moment had to have been from last season versus Nashville at home. Ryan Dezingle at the center line, he dropped past it to Shabbat, who just dangled around the player and sniped it top corner. And he went towards the glass and he did the Vince Carter, it's over, to the crowd. I was like, oh my god, that's so good. Either that or what, he absolutely destroyed that Leafs defenseman. Soshnikov or whatever he was in in the first battle of Ontario last season. Oh my god, that was so good too. Yeah, it's like, I just can't wait for Tom Shabbat in his prime in the playoffs. I know. I can't wait for Brady to chuck in his prime in the playoffs, too. That's going to be fun. Yeah, but this isn't Brady's cover episode. No, that's true. It's true. God, I just love Brady to chuck so much. I know. (laughs) So, Tim, let's go on and talk about last week's episode, because... Overall, it was a pretty, pretty good episode, I must say. Yeah, and it's, uh, it was nice to see folks on Twitter come out and just talk about what we are talking about. Absolutely, and I do want to take this opportunity to just thank everybody who reached out and showed their support for me for what I was talking about last week, because as you said, and I think a lot of people don't realize it, that I had told you before we hit record, I really hope you're ready for this because I had never told you any of this before we went live. Yeah. It was, I don't know, it was just, you see what it comes and, uh, no, I thought it was cool and uh, I'm glad that it worked out for you and uh, folks were able to kind of, I don't really know what the best way to phrase that is, but kind of grok it as well, you know? Yeah, they, they came out of the woodwork to show their support when you see somebody who is being very honest and very vulnerable at the moment. Uh-huh. 
overall, it was it is what it is. I mean, you know, it, for me, it was really great to finally get all that off my chest, and it was very tough. And that was one of the things for me is that, like I said, I got into a point where I was comfortable talking about it. So I knew that I was I could do it, but I just didn't know how I was going to hold up. And I was really glad to see that I held up as well as I did talking about it. Uh-huh. So, Tim, let's quickly talk a little bit about our week because, man, I got to tell you, I've had a bit of a fuck of a week. And not just because of what I was talking about on Monday night, but all week I've been suffering by a cold. And not one of the usual colds, you know, runny nose, sneezing, all that crap. Just the kind of cold that just kicks your ass all week and sucks the energy right out of you. And so have you been to China lately? Surprisingly, no. I have not been to China. I've never been to Asia. And there's certain places in Asia, as you t- talked about last week, I will never, ever go to. But, no, I do not have the coronavirus, despite what some of my family might think. No, I do not have it. No, I am not affected by it. And, yeah. yes, some people are fucking stupid for believing you get that by drinking Corona. So you are all stupid for believing that. But, no, I've just been suffering by a cold. And, actually, today... And yesterday was probably the first day that I've actually felt somewhat all right and feeling better. And today I was feeling really good. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go to the gym this morning. I'm going to do what I got to do. Yeah, that didn't happen. I probably got, give or take, 10 minutes outside of town. And my car started making this loud noise. And for the past couple of weeks, my car has been making this weird noise. And it usually gets, usually happens when I get on the highway, hit about 80 or 90 and I could feel it. It was near the wheels. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, that's weird. But it's no, it's not affecting the performance or the handling of the car or anything. So I really didn't think anything of it. It wasn't until, and this is a local reference, it wasn't until I got on the highway, got to where TransCanada and Bench Road is, where the co-op is. And that noise got really loud. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm turning around. This is fucking stupid. Why am I doing this? And I got to the co-op. I got my energy drink because, again, I'm still not energetic. I'm just getting over a cold. So I crushed a couple of those. I called Canadian Tire to have a look at my car. $580 later, it turned out one of the brake calipers seized on my car. So that means the car doesn't stop? Oh, no. The car stops now. Actually, the brake, actually, the car stops grid now, and the brakes are all good because... The guy had a look at my car and he says, yeah, yeah, when your brake caliber seized up on you and, you know, we can order the part for you. It's like a hundred something dollars. I'm like, guys, can't you just fix it? Like you're an auto shop. He's like, all right. Yeah, it'll be about $580. I was like, fine, just do it, please. And they called me a couple of hours ago and were just like, yeah, it's all ready to go. And I was like, cool. So I went down and grabbed my car, came back just so I can get here in time to do our interview tonight. And do this week's episode. Fantastic. So, Tim, given that the last couple of minutes I've been talking all about myself, i got to ask the all-important question. How has your week been going? Work this week was actually pretty slow, all things considered. It's mostly been... All of my stuff has either been in review or trying to get the right form to get a, get a report out, you know, government stuff. So, uh, well, that's kind of churning. It's been... Uh, research for another project so it's a lot more reading okay but yeah this weekend uh, chelsea won a 
someone that Chelsea works with in the lab. Uh, he got a postdoc job in the in the UK with uh, University College London. So he had his going away party, and that was quite a bit of fun. Solid. What do so you, you guys got? I rented up a spot in Calgary uh, in a pretty well known bar, National on Tenth Avenue, and uh, turns out like there's this box that's kind of up above the whole area that I didn't know existed, where it's just some tables at a dedicated bar. Actually, it was really funny. Uh, a bunch of us were chatting about, you know, whatever happens when uh, folks who've, who are highly educated have too much to drink, myself excluded. But uh, we are chatting about, you know, dumb stuff. And then uh, this, this woman who, uh, you could probably fit two of me in her waistband, comes up and uh, she's lost her bridal party. Really? Yeah, and uh, she hovers along, like, at first we're like, she's just taking a fix- picture, and then five minutes later, it's like, okay, why is she here? And she kind of moses on out, and one of us asks, like, hey, are you lost or something? And she just kind of hovers around chatting for more than that's kind of awkward, so each time we're trying to kind of help her figure out, like, oh, you could go, maybe it's this place, maybe it's around there, yada, yada, yada. And somehow in the conversation, it comes up that she does chicken art. Okay, so you got to explain this to me. What exactly is chicken art? The most that we were willing to get out of her was that uh, it involves, and if I understand the conversation correctly, I might have just kind of removed myself because it was getting really uncomfortable, was that she uses chicken carcasses for art. That honestly sounds kind of fucked up, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. And that's kind of the note that that whole thing left. And after she was gone, we all looked at each other. It's like, fuck is chicken art. So, like, in that room, you've got a guy with, like, I've got an economics master. There's two people with uh, multiple psychology PhDs. And we're all just looking at each other. Oh, and I think there's a biology PhD in there as well. And we're all just like, the fuck is chicken art? You know, the only thing I can think of that would have made that conversation more awkward, Tim, is if you brought up the fact that you read an article on silicon nutsack injections. You know what? Between that chicken art, I think chicken art takes the win. That is true. That is true because... That's that's serial killer tier. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, it really is. So, Tim... Given that we were just talking about nutsack injections and chicken nerd, I feel the best way we should segue into that uncomfortable situation is by segueing into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Solid. So, unfortunately, Tim, we don't have another edition of Watch this week because he didn't reach another milestone. But... We do have another segment of Thornton Tracker. San Jose Sharks forward Joe Thornton became the 14th player in NHL history to reach 1,500 points. Thornton recorded two assists in their game versus Calgary, which also gave him 800 assists as a member of the Sharks. Isn't that amazing? You know, and Joe Thornton's been around for so long that you tend to forget how many years he's actually played for the San Jose Sharks because... This season is, I believe, his 14th or 15th official NHL season with the team. 
Yeah, and I think it's very easy to forget that he started his career with the Bruins. I know, and that's amazing because at one time, Joe was one of those players that I think was so identified as a Boston Bruin, and now it's really hard to see him in a Bruins jersey. It's just like, really? Joe Thornton used to play for the Bruins? Like, when did that happen? Like, what the... What? Like, when did he ever be a Bruin? Because I think so far that we've... Over the last 15 years, we've identified the Bruins as being Daniel Chara's team. That I think the idea of having Joe Thornton on the team with guys like Bill Guerin and Brian Ralston is just still a real mind-boggling when thinking about it now in 2020. Yeah, like... Yeah, it's crazy what happens just trades and, and it's like all these teams and players you thought would never leave the team and then they do and you're like oh okay we'll get Ovi watch soon I know hopefully next week we can have another edition of Ovi watch actually you know it'd be great if we get Ovi watch and Thornton tracker a boy can dream Tay boy can dream that is true let's go on to our next story the St. Louis Blues will retire Chris Pronger's number 44 in the 2020-21 season Pronger, who was acquired from the St. Louis Blues and who was acquired by the St. Louis Blues in 1995 from the Hartford Whalers for Brendan Shanahan, spent nine seasons with the Blues, recording 84 goals, 272 assists for 356 points in 598 games, while being named to three All-Star games and becoming the second defenseman since Bob Yord to win the Hart and Norris Trophy in 2000. You know what's really amazing, Tim, is I did not realize Chris Pronger's number has was never retired by the Blues. I thought they already had done that. You know what? It's hard, though, because there's so much of Chris Pronger's career that happened away from the Blues, though, right? That is true, and... But for like, myself, Stanley I, Cup was with Anaheim. Yeah, and he also played in the finals with the Flyers in his very first year, too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, so it's like... Man, that's crazy. I didn't surprised. even realize that. God. I don't know, and this is one of the things that we're talking about Joe Thornton as a Bruin. Chris Pronger as a St. Louis Blue, and we're talking about like his accomplishments otherwise. To me, it's kind of weird, because when I think of Chris Pronger, I think of him in his time with Anaheim, his year with Edmonton, his time with Philadelphia, his time with St. Louis, and it's weird because he spent the most time with the Blues. It always seems like... They're not, they're like the third or fourth team I think of that he played for, even though he had most of his success with them. Yeah, it's like I don't think of Chris Pronger as a St. St. Louis Blue. I think of him as good defenseman for hire. Exactly. I also remember him as being one of the dirtiest players in the league, too, and his Wikipedia page even says that, right? He says, I think he said despite being one of the most talented offensive defensemen, he was always known as a very dirty player. Yeah, well, he got himself suspended from a Stanley Cup final game. Like, that takes some doing. Oh, yeah, because when he ripped off, was it Johan Franzen or Thomas Holmstrom's head in the Western Conference Finals in 07? Oh, I was thinking the Dean McCammon hit. Oh, God, I never forgave him. for That was the only reason I never liked Anaheim for the longest time, is because Chris Pronger played for the Ducks. As soon as Pronger went to Philadelphia, I had no problem with Anaheim after that. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, Roger's <coughs> an easy player to hate. That's he true. He fits so well on the Flyers. That's true, and given 
And it's funny because when we had Jamie McClendon on the show, he talked about his relationship with Chris Pronger. And if you read his book, the one thing I get listening and reading to Jamie McClendon is Chris Pronger is a very straightforward, straight shooty kind of guy who I don't want to say he doesn't give a shit what people thinks, but he's also not afraid to just call it how it is. And that's the way that I've, I've also heard and talked to people who've met Chris Pronger and they said the exact same thing. They've said that Pronger almost comes off as being an asshole to people because just the way he is as a person. Mm-hmm. Like he's too much of a straight shooter. Very much so. Winnipeg Jets defenseman Dustin Bufflin is working with the team on terms of a mutual contract termination. Bufflin is on a standard player contract and his cap hit will no longer count on the Jets books post-termination. You know, I don't know how you feel about this, Tim, but I kind of feel Bufflin is fucking the Jets on this one because honestly, if he was not happy in Winnipeg, he should have told the team, listen, I'm not happy. And if you feel that you should, you can actually get something for me, put me on the trade block and see what you can do instead of doing this. Because honestly, I just feel like he's kind of screwing the Jets is one thing because they're getting nothing for him, you know, and he was one of their more popular players in the team and the fans loved him. But I just feel that he still has trade value and they could have gotten something for him. But given that they're just terminating his contract, the Jets are getting nothing for this. Well, I'm honestly surprised the NHL is going to win. Well, I guess there's nothing the NHL can do, but it's like the only reason this probably happens is because Winnipeg direly needs the cap space. But yeah, it's like I have to wonder if the NHL is going. This is going to affect the CBA in the ne- in negotiate or has it already been negotiated? I can't remember. But you have to you have to think this affects negotiations in some way. Yeah, I think so. I think when the NHL and PA goes back into their collective bargaining agreement and they start reworking it. I think this will be another sticking issue for them is, okay, well, the standard contract says that the player's cap it will no longer count if they're bought out or the contract is terminated. So they could probably use that as an example of either reworking it or rewording it so it could be something completely different for the next several years of the agreement. Yeah. So, Tim, do you remember last week on Top of the Hour, we talked about the Arizona Coyotes allegedly fitness testing players before the draft? Is that no longer alleged? TSN's Darren Dreger reported that at least 20 cases of the Arizona Coyotes illegally fitness testing players. The case has been turned over to the NHL lawyers, and each individual case can lead to a $250,000 Fine. Now, keep, now keep in mind, this is not $250,000 for 20 cases. No, no, no. This is $250,000 per case, meaning one. Do the math on that, people. Yeah, no kidding. I don't know. I mean, and I do agree with you is that I'm not exactly sure what kind of an edge they think they can get out of this because, as you were saying, a lot of the top guys are not there. So, obviously, you can maybe look at mid-round or late-round guys and try and find the diamonds in the rough. That I can I can kind of see that, but 
really, how much of an edge are you really going to get out of that in the long run? Not much. No, I don't know. I mean, this, this, I don't know. I mean, I personally just trying to wrap my head around it because it's like, okay, I understand the logic. Maybe the coyotes have of, listen, we want to get the upper edge that, you know, you look at other sports teams like the Oakland athletics had with money ball or some of the other kind of strategies that maybe they had, but this is not the right way to go because a it's, illegal to do this so that you can't do this long before the draft combine and any of that stuff like you can't be doing this so I don't, I don't know where the coyotes thought they could probably get away with this but it's also like i said last week it's very fascinating to find out how many teams have actually done this before and have never gotten caught doing it well it's the houston astros thing isn't it with sign stealing yeah very much so i mean honestly in a I'm amazed that this is another story that I wouldn't be surprised if because the case has been turned over to NHL lawyers, <coughs> excuse me, how many more of these instances maybe will come out about other teams doing the exact same thing? Because well, it I usually does. It usually does, right? When you look at stuff like this, because they just don't look at one team. They do a deep dive into how far down does this go? Oh, and I think it'll be more fun if it goes real deep. And then it would also be interesting to see, it's like, are the teams that are doing this getting better draft picks? Because Lord knows that uh, Phoenix hasn't had the best stretch stretch run lately. No, but they've had some really good success with their Clayton Kellers and Oliver Ekman-Larsons. But yeah, overall, you, like you look at their later rounds, and that's where you really find that, I know I don't want to use this pun, but it's a real desert in the late rounds. Mm-hmm. And I guess this sort of thing isn't really panning out. I was trying to work in a canal pun, but they weren't coming. No. I, Actually, I read I... this really cool article earlier today about, uh, you know how Phoenix is uh, basically, it's just juddered with canals, and that's how they get water and irrigation into the area, right? Right. It turns out like uh, 70% of those canals were uh, had their foundation, or at least the kind of the path, charted out about around 280 by the Aboriginal peoples in the area to do their own farming. It's just the way the river went. Really? Yeah. Crazy shit. Uh, I'll have to link you to the article. It's cool, but it's, it's a bit long. That's all right. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Now, actually, speaking about deserts, Tim, let's go into our next story because the Vegas Golden Knights have purchased the San Antonio Rampage and will relocate them to Henderson slash Las Vegas, Nevada. The purchase is pending AHL board approval. The Rampage has been playing in San Antonio since 2002. So this story only reinforces one thing, Tim, and I know you're very disappointed that you will no longer get the chance to see the Vegas Golden Gulls. And I know that breaks your heart, buddy, but you know... It is what it is, unfortunately. Although I will say... I would like to know where in Nevada Henderson is and how farther far away from Las Vegas it really is. Because honestly, I would have said, as I said last week, I would have thought a place like Reno would have been a place to put the team. Isn't Henderson County like right next to Las Vegas County? That's a good question. I'll quickly look that up because, I don't know. I mean, honestly, it's one of those things that I honestly just assumed that Henderson was 
like a small. Yeah, Henderson's right next to Las Vegas. Actually, I think it's where the strip is, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, is it? Uh, Henderson, Clark County, Nevada is about 16 miles southwest southeast of Las Vegas. Second largest city in Nevada after Vegas. Estimated population 310,000. Part of the Las Vegas metropolitan area. Yeah. Okay, so I would imagine they're probably going to play their games at the uh, T-Mobile Arena then in Las Vegas. Yeah. Unless there's another one. Yeah, because southeast. Uh, no, I guess, yeah, probably wouldn't have the main strip because I think the strip ones are in unincorporated Clark County. Okay. Yeah, I just assumed that their minor league team, I would have thought it would have been a smarter idea to put it in the suburbs like Reno, right? Because... You have Las Vegas, which would be like the big market team, and Reno would have their minor league team. And I think that would be a lot, kind of a smart move to do because, <coughs> excuse me, is that because, <coughs> Jesus Christ, fucking cold. Um, where was it going with this? Oh, yes, because, you know, I would have assumed it would have been a smarter idea to put it in the suburbs where... A lot of people, maybe if you go from Reno or outside of Las Vegas who can't travel to Vegas for games, maybe would get a chance to, or an interest in hockey, they can go see their minor league affiliate play to get their hockey fix. Yeah, because I wonder how much hockey that Las Vegas can actually support. That is true because, you know, and obviously the interest in hockey has been great since the Vegas Golden Knights have arrived, but a lot of that has been because... The Vegas Golden Knights have been good. Mm-hmm. Not just because the team is there, but because the team is good. And that was the one thing, and you can go back a few years when we were talking about our Vegas expansion draft episode, and I said that's the one thing that Vegas has to do is that they have to win in Las Vegas for, for, for people to care. Because if you're an expansion team in the South, that's the one thing that could kill your team. Look at Atlanta. Atlanta doesn't care if you don't win. You look at the Atlanta Falcons. They went to the Super Bowl a few years ago, and now they're failing to have half-full buildings now. Because they they aren't good enough. And you know what's kind of interesting, though, is I'm actually surprised that they've moved the team from San Antonio because it's not like they have... It's not like their attendance is that bad. It's actually pretty solid for an AHL team. Yeah, and they've got really... And they had really solid ownership because... The people that own the Rampage also own the NBA's San Antonio Spurs as well. Yeah, like uh, for context, it's the San Antonio Rampage has a higher average attendance than the Marlies this year. Yeah, but you also got to factor in the fact that the San Antonio Rampage also play in a bigger building than the Marlies do as well. True. Actually, speaking of the Toronto Marlies, Tim, we got to talk about their, you know, their big club. The Toronto Maple Leafs, because they were acquired in a trade this week. The Toronto Maple Leafs have acquired goaltender Jack Campbell and forward Kyle Clifford from the Los Angeles Kings in exchange for forward Trevor Moore, Columbus Blue Jackets' 2020 third-round pick, and a conditional 2021 third-rounder. Campbell recorded an 8-10-2 record with a 900 save percentage, while Clifford recorded six goals, eight assists for 14 points in 53 games for Los Angeles, while Moore recorded three goals, two assists for five points in 27 games for Toronto, this season this is a trade and i you know and you know me i always like to feel that i'm pretty neutral and pretty unbiased with what i say i actually don't mind this trade for toronto because you they get two things out of this 
they get an upgrade at backup, and they get a physical presence on the ice with this trade. Yeah, and they don't end up paying all that much either. No, because from what I was doing, and I actually looked up their contract, Campbell, Clifford, and Moore are all UFAs July 1st. And so, honestly, I would imagine that Sheldon Key from the Leafs are going to look at both Michael Hutchinson and Jack Campbell and see how they perform down the stretch. And they're going to make a decision from there who they're going to want as the backup next year because Jack Campbell, and as I said, he was 8-10-2 with a 900 save percentage on a god-awful L.A. team. Think about that for a second. This is a guy who had a above 900 save percentage with the Los Angeles Kings, who have the second-best odds at Alexa Lafonniere currently. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, but at the same time, it's going to be interesting to see because at the same time, it's not like Toronto knows how defense works this year. No, but also their defense been pretty beat up with Morgan Riley out too, right? So he's out, Cody Cece. I know Cody Cece's now out. But I don't know. This would be – I, I don't mind it for the Leafs because, as I said, it gives them an upgrade at a backup. And so I would I do imagine that they're going to look at Campbell and Hutchinson to see who they're going to have as their backup next year. So that's not too bad. Kyle Clifford I also see as a very – integral part of what the Leafs have been missing is toughness because that's the thing you can have all the offense you want but when it comes to playoff time pretty much offense no other teams say fuck you and your offense we're gonna run your ass over you want proof look at the LA Kings in 2012-2014 look at the St. Louis Blues last year who won the Stanley Cup but at the same time well, the coordinated firepower of uh, Washington in 2017 got them to a cup. So I don't think skills just out of the question. You mean 2018? 2018, yeah. Yeah, but Washington uh, still had toughness, right? They still had guys like Tom Wilson and players like that who could throw the body around. Although, you know, Tom Wilson has a tendency to kill players, but, you know, that's not really Well, the I point. mean, the Leafs had that with uh, Nazem Kadri, but look where that got him. Suspended is the answer, but... Oh, I was going to say he got sent to a, possibly an even better team? Yeah, that too. I don't know. I'm I'm just hoping that ultimate chaos ensues and uh, the Leafs somehow miss the playoffs this year. Yeah, that would be good. But you know what, though? That might give Toronto an actually a decent pick, though. Uh, no, they traded it. No, actually, it was a conditional first because I think the condition was if they missed the playoffs... Carolina doesn't get their first round there this year. I'll have to check that, because I thought it was just lottery protected. Was it lottery protected? I, th- I thought it was only... I thought it was overall protected if they missed the playoffs. Yeah, I'll check the Carolina on Cat Friendly and get back to you. Okay. While you're doing that, Tim, I guess that wraps up Top of the Air, which means it's time to head on to the games. Now, we got three games to talk about this evening. We've got the Ducks versus the Senators, Avalanche versus the Senators, and the Sens... Versus the Jets. Top but, 10 protected. Okay, thank you. But before we do that, let's hit the music. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Ducks versus the Senators. This is a 3-2 Anaheim shootout victory. Ducks goals were scored by Nick Ricci. 
Andre Cachet, and Ricard Raquel in the shootout. Sends goes recorded by Drake the Snake Batherson and Artem Anisioff. Shot for 32-28 for Ottawa. A somewhat even game overall. Ottawa started off the game playing with energy and creating scoring chances, which they were able to sustain throughout. Anaheim didn't start off amazingly, but their play did improve, taking a one-goal lead before taking it in the shootout. So, you know, Tim, when we talk about the games, I always like to start talking about goaltenders, and this is going to be no different. Marcus Hogberg, 26 saves, a .928 save percentage. Just another solid outing for Hogberg. Yeah, and I think this game could have been a lot worse had Hogberg not been very solid. And I think I say that, do I say that pretty much every week? Yeah, pretty much. Just replace Hogberg with, well, I guess Nelson, you haven't really said that in a while because he's been injured. But yeah, Hogberg has been one of these guys that the emergence of him has been really great. And I don't want to spoil anything, but I think in a few months here, when we do our top five actual good things about the... 1920 Ottawa Senators, I think we're going to put Marcus Hogberg on that list because he has been fantastic for us. No kidding. Another top five good things to that happened to the Ottawa Senators here. Let's talk about Drake Batherson. Oh my God, yes. Let's talk about Drake. Oh, one goal on three shots. Wow. That goal. And you know, watching this game, the one thing that I noticed is that you knew it was only a matter of time before he potted one with those moves, especially that one. Oh, God. Oh, that was well, what's so amazing good. is he got into the zone on himself, deked around it, got passed it off, then got the puck back. Like, that's that was amazing. You know, it's funny because when you watched him at the beginning of this year and the guy was just scared shitless out there, it's amazing how far this guy has come. And honestly, that goal... And I don't want to be crude here, Tim, but that's the kind of goal that makes you want to have a cigarette afterwards. Just like, oh, that's so good. Ugh. Right to the chest. Yeah, well, it's just like, it's not very often that I want to watch a replay this year for the Senators, but holy crap, that's a goal you can just watch multiple times. And Drake Batherson was just all over the ice, too. Yeah. And, and yeah, he really wasn't on the wrong side of it, either. No, and that's another thing that we can talk about. You know, you're talking about Hogberg's solid performance is that Batherson has really always been on the right side of the puck since he's been called back up. And I feel that uh, going back to our Good Things episode, there's a pretty good chance, like you said, he could be on that list as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got to play 17 minutes that night. Yeah. So he's obviously earned DJ Smith's trust. Absolutely. And, you know, and that was the one thing when we had Alex Metzger on the show for our first half recap, that was the one thing that I talked about with DJ Smith is that he really makes the players accountable. And by doing that, he also recognizes guys like Batherson when he plays well, he says, hey, you know what? You're earning my trust. I'm giving you minutes to play. And I think that's really good because he's pretty fair. I mean, if you really want to be a DJ Smith, pretty fair. With, as a head coach, like if he sees players dogging it or he doesn't see the production, he'll cut his minutes, as you would see with Anthony DeClaire later on in the next couple of games. Yeah, one player that I felt probably could have gotten more ice time this game was Colin White. He had a great game. The only thing the poor guy couldn't do was put a puck in the net. I know. That was the one. All over the place. 
It was. And obviously, I'll have more notes about Colin White when we talk about the Avsens game. One player I do want to talk about, and I know this is a guy that you haven't always been fully on the bandwagon with him, was Mike Riley. Two assists on two shots. I actually thought he really played a solid game against Anaheim. Yeah, no, and uh, that's one of the things is uh, Mike Riley is surprisingly mobile. For someone who was known for not being the greatest skater, he gets around the ice well enough. True, but you also got to wonder how much of that was contributed to maybe him playing it safe and maybe him not wanting to jump into the play, whereas in Ottawa, he figures, you know what, I really need to make an impression to make this team, so I'm going to get into the play, I'm going to make some moves, and I'm going to try and create some scoring chances as well while I'm in the offensive zone. Yeah, that's probably definitely something about it, and between him and Batherson, uh, that power play unit looks much improved. Now, one player that we haven't actually really talked about a lot in the last several weeks, and... This is amazing when I looked at his stat line because he had seven hits in less than seven minutes, and that's Philip Shalopic. Now, when I see stuff like that, honestly, the only thing I can see is a player really trying to make an effort to make the starting roster. Yeah, and it's it's hard because I don't... Shalopic was on the ice for two goals against. And as much as I can be critical of DJ Smith's ice time, I, I can understand batching Schlopik. That and is true. And it's a little disappointing to see that he's struggling a bit. I'm surprised he hasn't been sent down to bring someone else up, but at the same time, same time it's hard because Belleville is doing so well. Yeah, and you don't want to mess with their mojo down in Belleville, right? Because yeah. currently, I mean, where are they right now? They're, what, third in their division at the moment? Where are they right They're now? They're second. Second right now? Okay. AHL. Oh, Jesus. In fact, I didn't even realize they were that high. Because last I checked, I thought they were third in the division. I didn't realize they were second in the league. Yeah, no, they've been absolutely killing it. It's a bit sad because, yeah, they're not. there's no way they're going to be able to catch uh, Milwaukee for the top because the Milwaukee Admirals are playing uh, the type of hockey that, well, for the AHL level, that Tampa Bay was last year with a 75% win percentage. So are you saying in the first round they're going to win the first period and they get swept in four games? Maybe. Yeah. But yeah, Belleville's won 32 games. 32 of 50 games. Yeah. I am. I, you know what? I really, really do like Belleville's jerseys, though. And maybe it's because I'm always a sucker for the Sens O jerseys, which they actually brought back for this week, which I was very, very happy about. But speaking of jerseys, before we go on to our next game, two notes I want to make on this Ducks-Sens game. Number one was the attendance. This was another below 10,000 game, which unfortunately this is the third this year. But also, and I will I will fight to the death about this team's jerseys. I don't care what anybody says. I love the Anaheim Ducks jerseys. I love the colors. I love the look of them. To me, they are one of the more underappreciated hockey jerseys in the end. The orange ones? No, not the orange ones. The current home ones. And the and the, oh, even the ones I I hate the orange ones. The orange ones suck. But no, the home and away ones with the D and the colors and all that, like the dark ones. Oh, so good. I guess it's it's really hard though when you have uh, you change from an iconic jersey. True, but the thing is, is that one of the criticisms I've always had about Anaheim, and I am a bit of a sucker for the teal and eggplant jerseys, the Paul Korea era of the nineties. 
But the one thing I can never say about Anaheim is that I never thought they ever had overly nice jerseys. Which is weird to say, right? And this is the first incarnation of the post-Korea jersey where I think that's a really solid look. I think the D really works. I think having the, you know, the old school duck logo shoulder patch works. The colors mesh nice. It just, everything looks so sharp on those jerseys that I don't understand why people don't like it as much as I do. Yeah, like, it is a nice jersey, but at the same time, it's like, I can kind of, I can kind of grok it, why people aren't as on board with it, because, and I guess it's kind of like the, if you really like the old Arizona Coyotes jerseys with kind of that, uh, which I do, it's not a mesquite pattern, and then they go just kind of a maroon jersey, and you're like, eh. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the maroon jerseys, which, if you were to ask me my opinion about the Canucks Heritage Classic jerseys from 2014, I still say those suck. Are you just not a maroon guy? No, I don't like maroon. I don't like maroon jerseys. I don't like maroon musically. I feel like you're going there. Although, you know, they have a couple of songs I'm okay with, but other than that, you know... Just don't bring him to my Super Bowl. Exactly. Just bring back J-Lo. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tim, do you want to head on to the second game of the evening? Yeah, let's do it. Avalanche versus Senators. This is a 4-1 to one Avalanche victory. Avalanche goes to score by Vladimir Nereshkin, Matt Nito, Cal Macker, and JT Comfer. Sens goes to score by the real American, Brady Nachuk. Shots were 34-26 for Colorado. Colorado outplayed Ottawa throughout this game. Colorado dominated the Senators in the first 10 minutes with Ottawa not being able to get anything going, which would have made a theme throughout this game despite Ottawa being able to get shots off and were finally able to score. So we're going to talk about the goaltender again. Andres Nilsson, 30 saves, a .882 save percentage. You mean Marcus Hogberg? No, was it Marcus Hogberg? I thought Nilsson played this game. Nielsen's still injured. Oh. Well, I fucked up. Blew it. Listen, I've been fighting a cold all week. What do you want me to do, man? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, Marcus Hogberg, 30 saves at .882 save. Thank you for correcting me on that. 100%. The defense left him out to dry in this game. Oh, yeah. Colorado was able to fire at will. Honestly, can, can we just say right now, what the fuck kind of performance was that? Seriously, I have, I've never seen this team just open face off and they're like, oh, we know we're going to fucking lose against them. We're not even going to try. That was fucking embarrassing to watch that. I was like, are you guys serious? This, yeah, I get it. They got Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog and Miko Rantanen, but gee, I put up at least a little bit of a fight against them. Yeah, it's like funny because it's like the Senators almost went the whole period without registering a, the whole first period without registering a shot. Like, uh, sure, a bunch of them were blocked, but at the same time, same time, it was just, Colorado just kept coming in waves and kept coming and kept coming, and Ottawa just didn't seem to care. Yeah, it was almost like, you know, and I always think of it like that moment from The Simpsons where Stampy's going towards the peanut factory, and the guy in the factory's like, this is what we feared, people. Many of you thought I was crazy. But we, I demanded we have two-hour training sessions every morning. Some of you requested to be transferred to other peanut factories, and the fucking elephant just comes through. That's what this reminded me of. In a weird fucking way, it just reminded me, like, 
the avalanche just came, like you said, came in ways, came in ways. The Sens did nothing to fight back. They're just like, oh, okay, fuck, well, we're not going to lose this game. But despite that, there's one player, yeah, there's... and maybe you're going to be, maybe you'll disagree with me on this. The one guy I felt that really stood out for the Sens, and this is a player that it's always in games like this, I always love the fact he's on our team, is Brady Tuchuk. One goal on seven shots, and I actually thought he was the one player in this game who actually looks somewhat decent against the Avalanche. Between him and Bowerson, yeah. And uh, just that push for the Senators' goal is the only time that Ottawa really looked good in the game. Which is kind of frustrating, which here's the team. It looks absolute dog shit, but they have the ability to just press play. You know? Exactly. One player I'm surprised you never haven't mentioned was Colin White, because, and I was actually at home, sick from work, watching the game, and I was chatting with you on Twitter and talking to McKinnon as well. And the one player that really got brought up was Colin White. Because honestly, he looked decent in the first period blocking the shot to protect the Sens from that one goal. But honestly, I didn't notice him after that. Maybe because he was injured, or maybe because he just went the way of the team that it just stopped caring. But I don't know. Maybe, was it you? Did you notice him at all? Because I know I didn't. He did have reduced ice time, and it didn't help that uh, the other two people in the fourth line, Sabra and Schlappick, were stapled to the bench. And I think this is this is something that's a little frustrating. And don't get me wrong, I like the guy, but if you're only going to be playing Sabra in five minutes, don't play him. Yeah, and that's the perfect word to use, is frustrating. Because when you watch games like this, and we knew we were going to lose to Colorado. That's a given. Okay, you look at the abs and you look at us, you're like, it's like a baby fighting Hulk Hogan. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ, okay. I guess we're not going to win this. But at least put up a little bit of fight. Come on, guys. Yeah, and another interesting thing is just Duclair is in the doghouse. Very much so, man. I mean, because how many, was he at 14, 15 games already without a goal? Uh, by the end of this podcast, 17. 17, okay. That's embarrassing. Um, and what's ridiculous, it's weird though, because it's like, not for a lack of trying. No, and that was the one thing I said to somebody on Twitter, because they're talking about, you know, like he, somebody on Twitter was saying that they were all for giving him an extension, but now he's in this goalless drought He's kind of rethinking it. Maybe they get it for a first rounder. But I'm thinking, you know what? If he was a total plug out there, I would be worried. But you can see he's putting in the effort. He's playing a 200-foot game. <coughs> oh, he's getting... He's putting pucks to the net. It's just... The guy is cursed. Like, straight-up cursed. Like, uh, he missed an open net this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think, it's like... Go ahead. It's ridiculous that's happening, and I'm not that worried about it, but still, this is freaky. It is. But the one note, and I can't remember who it was, it might have been Bruce Garriott, or I might have heard it somewhere else, is that the one thing he's noticed about Anthony Duclair, and I never picked up on that until he brought it up, a lot of Anthony Duclair's goals, where has he scored it from? I'm going to guess one of the points. The middle of the ice. Where is Anthony Declare? Never. He is never in the middle of the ice nowadays. And I yes, don't. They must be cut. Other teams must have adjusted. Must have been. But you know what? I think that's one of the things where 
you get either a power play going or something going where you're rotating players, whether Batherson and him switch off or whatever. So now they're wondering, okay, do we cover Batherson? Because Batherson has been hot. Do we cover Duclair? Because he has been goalless for the last 17 games. Like, who the hell do we stop? Because you just know, like, if Batherson gets it to Duclair, he gets one shot off. That's all he needs is one shot and it goes in. And I think for him... I'm still pushing for Anthony Duclair. And that's the crazy thing, because I know people on Twitter are really starting to give up on him a bit. And I'm just thinking, guys, yes, he has a 17-game goal a streak. But he has 20 goals already. He can break out of this. And if he wasn't putting in the effort, if he wasn't playing a full 200-foot game, if he wasn't back-checking and doing everything DJ Smith is probably asking him to do, minus scoring goals then yeah, I would totally be worried about this guy, but I'm not. Because it will come. He will eventually get his scoring touch back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm not terribly worried. No. The guy's just snake bit right now. Exactly. And I mean, you know, you can look at the number of snipers we've had on this team. Like Milan McCulloch, how many times did, was he snake bitten? What about Mike Hoffman? What about guys like Mark Stone? What about guys who... Knew, who knew how to score goals in this team. They got snake bitten every now and then. They got out of it. Yeah, I have every confidence it'll happen to declare as well. Exactly. So one final comment I want to make on this game. Given that last week we were talking about the Bellless Talk Day, one thing I think that's really great about this night is the Senators did the Bell Hockey Talk Night with the wife of Luke Richardson, whose daughter committed suicide a number of years ago so they started the foundation and keeping her memory alive and i think that's great that they really did that for that night because you know as we're talking like the bell let's talk week and everything that was going on last week with what i was talking about and everything on twitter so i think that's a really great cause that i'm glad the ottawa senators and mark borbieski have gotten behind that 100 percent yeah and it's one of the things about Do It For Darren is it's one of the, really one of the first NHL mental health initiatives, and it was an Ottawa-grown thing. Yeah, because Luke Richardson was a Sens assistant head coach at the time when yeah. she passed away. Yeah, and it's awesome to see that the momentum's kept up, and I really hope it helps some kids. Absolutely. God knows they need it. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's tough, right, because... You know, and I was talking to one of my coworkers, this is a while ago about it, is that, you know, we live in a time where there's so much stress being put on people. And not just because of social media, the way it's being, but also the way that people's lives are nowadays, right? You know, you're stressing to pay your bills, you're struggling to do whatever. And that puts a lot of stress on people where that could cause mental health issues that can cause whatever. Right. So I'm glad that these kind of initiatives are out there where it can help people, especially our young people. If they're especially having teenagers, holy shit. Exactly. Like, uh, I remember being a teenager and shit was rough. I couldn't imagine being a teenager nowadays where, uh, I think for teenagers, especially, uh, we had it easy with just Facebook. Exactly. And I mean, cause when we were in high school, like when let's see when we got into high school it was 2007 so facebook Twitter didn't exist facebook just came out twitter then later came out a few years later no instagram instagram was not a thing so basically you had facebook 
the first couple of years of Twitter, and if you still had MySpace, but who the fuck still uses MySpace by the 2010? But yeah, I couldn't imagine being a high school student in 2020, you know, where you have maybe not so much Facebook, but the Snapchats, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, you know, all the social media platforms weren't a thing when we were in high school. Like, well, that's not true. Smartphones were really starting to become a thing by grades 11 and 12, but yeah, it was mostly flip phones, right? So yeah, well, like the iPhone came out in 2007, right? And then it wasn't even really all that, it wasn't pop, like as ubiquitous as it was until like, yeah, grade 11 or hell, I didn't have a smartphone until the end of grade 12. I didn't have one until I was out of high school, so. (laughs) Actually, the way I ended up getting a smartphone was like the most random fucking thing. Yeah. My dad just came down one day and there was no special occasion, like we're getting iPhones. What? And that was it. Chris and I ended up with iPhones. Was this like uh, Christmas time where no. him and your family fucking went out because everything went on sale? No, it was just in the middle of fucking March. Huh. And like not near Easter either. That's weird. Yeah, that's what I was saying too. Everyone's like, why are you getting an iPhone? It's like, fuck, I don't know, but I'm not arguing it. Yeah. Actually, one thing we haven't even talked about, and we were talking about Mark Borbieski, is that we got to give him a quick shout-out because him and his wife, Tara, just welcomed a baby boy into the world the other day. Mm-hmm. Well, he was missing from the Winnipeg game because delivery day was close, and it was funny because uh, they during the, I think it was the Colorado game, uh, he takes a puck off the hand, it goes off, and, you know, he comes back because he's Mark Borbieski, but uh, the guy... The guys in the play-by-play booth were joking around. It's like, yeah, if he's not, if he gets injured and this is the night he's real injured, a real injury, he's got no one to drive him to the hospital. I know. <laughs> but it's Mark Borbieski. He'd probably drive himself. I don't know. He seems like the sort of guy who would, if he had a broken hand, he wouldn't drive. No, that's true. Although one, um, one thing did come out of Mark Borbieski's son being born is now... RoboCop's got a new partner on the force. Shit. Yeah. So, Tim, do you want to head on to the third and final game of the evening? Yeah, and uh, this one will be about as hard as the last one. Sens versus Jets. This is a 5-2 Jets victory. Sens goes to score by Jean-Gabriel Pajot and Mikel Bodker. Wow. I didn't even realize he was still it's with the team. It's a Bodker sighting. I know. Jets goals were scored by Patrick Laine with a hat trick on the power play, Neil Pionk, and Kyle Connor. Shots were 34-27 for Winnipeg. Winnipeg outplayed Ottawa for a majority of this game. Ottawa and Winnipeg started off the game pretty decent, getting scoring chances and even having a few fights. However, the latter fight swung the momentum in Winnipeg's favor as they began to completely take over with Winnipeg stifling Ottawa's offensive attack and Laine getting a power play hat trick. So, given we're just talking about the ladder fight that swung momentum. Let's start off with their Brady Chuck. One assist on six shots. This is one of the this is one of two players I have very mixed feelings about his play in this game. And I will start off by saying the hit before the fight, I really don't like that because that's a borderline dirty hit. And the fight ended up backfiring for Ottawa because that was a fight that really didn't necessarily need to happen. The fight between Nick Paul and Nathan Bellevue was a really odd fight to watch because it's like, 
have these guys ever been in a fight before? Like, Nick Paul just looked yeah. so fucking awkward. He's not a fighter. It's It was so weird seeing Nick Paul in a fight. I was like, I don't know what to say about that. But, you know, you know, it is whatever it is. However, talking about Brady to Chuck, and I was talking about this in the game versus Colorado. This is one of these games that you can totally see why Pierre Dorian drafted Brady. Because regardless of how many goals the Sens may be down by, he never stops working. And that's the one thing I've always been a big fan of Brady is because it doesn't matter how many goals he gets down. It doesn't matter if a team scores on him while he's on the ice. He never stops trying. Yeah, and for that reason alone, it's just when Brady's on the ice, good things tend to happen. And... That was a nice thing to see in a game that was otherwise a bit hard to watch. But what was bizarre is Ottawa kind of controlled the play, but they just gave up way too... They were just too undisciplined. Oh, the Sens were totally undisciplined. And actually, going back to what I was saying about the Brady Chuck fight, is the one thing I noticed is that after the hit, I, can't, I think it was Blake Wheeler. Wheeler came over and kind of chatting with them. It didn't even look like Wheeler was going to drop his gloves. Brady dropped his gloves first and almost started swinging at him. And Wheeler's like, all right, fuck it. I guess this isn't a fight now. It happened. And I almost think about that for a second. I was like, you know, I often wonder how this game would have gone if Brady hadn't fought Blake Wheeler. Because, you know, you talk about the Nick Paul fight. And that really sparked the sense. And it seemed like, oh, okay, that might help this team out. But Brady's fight, it just kind of seemed like, I, I don't know how I feel about it. It just was one of those things where I watched it and I'm just thinking, okay, I don't really know if you had to fight there, Brady, but I can kind of see, maybe because a lot of people had saw Matthew DeChuck with Zach Cassian and maybe he didn't want himself to be pigeonholed as being a turtler or somebody who's not going to stand up for his own actions. You know, I honestly don't think it would change the momentum that much because... The big thing that really got Winnipeg in the game and got Winnipeg the win was just Ottawa's completely undisciplined play. Like, if the Senders were more disciplined, I think the Senders would have won. Because if you're letting Patrick Line get Patrick on the power play, well, you gave him at least three power plays. Yeah. And there was actually one player in particular is why we ended up giving the Jets two of them. And then, of course is our cover athlete, Thomas Shabbat. One shot, minus one, with four penalty minutes. I don't ever really say this about Thomas Shabbat. I really did not like his game in this. The first penalty, okay, I can kind of argue that against that because you can almost make the argument he was playing tight, checking defense on that, right? Where he was trying to stop the guy, and he just kind of grabbed him, and the guy went down. So, okay, yeah. you can kind of argue against that. The second penalty... Come on, Thomas. Are you serious? You know, we don't actually say this all that often, but you know who actually had a pretty good game? Who? Nikita Zaitsev. Sure, he was on the ice for all three of the penalty lasers, but he was where he needed to be. He saved a goal just by good positioning and probably, as far as the fancy stats go, the best defenseman on the ice. Other than Dylan DeMello. 
Yeah, it's true. And this game, DeMello and Shabbat were back together. So I'm really surprised that Shabbat didn't have a great game in this one. Yeah, but it's nice to see that. And granted, this is a really weird Winnipeg team that just can't seem to get any sustained pressure going. That when Ottawa, Ottawa can at least break up the pairings now. And you can re- have Shabbat DeMello and then Riley Zaitsev or Riley Golubev or Riley Borbietsky won't be a disaster. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Craig Anderson did not look good, though. <coughs> God, no, he fucking looked awful in this game. Craig Anderson, 18 saves, a .818 save percentage. Now, look, despite being screened on one of these goals, as you said, the guy looked just terrible in this game against the Jets. And this wasn't even, uh, oh, the defense left him out the dry, or he could have had a chance with some of those goals. No, he just looked terrible in this game. Yeah, and it's, like, I think it was the second line goal in particular. It's just kind of like, that happened. Yeah. Actually, another guy, and I know this almost becomes a theme of when we talk about his, you know, not-so-good play, Ron Hainsey. Now, i got to ask, because there's an NFL quarterback by the name of Jameis Winston that urinating tree refers to him as the baker because he's always throwing turnovers. When do we start calling Ron Hainsey the baker? Because every time he gets the pocket, especially in this game, he turns it over. Yeah, and uh, I think it was... I forget which game it was now. Was it the Buffalo game where Ron Hainsey... Yeah, it's the Buffalo, the latest Buffalo game where Ron Hainsey passes to the Buffalo player for a goal. It's... Uh, I wonder if they'll even be able to turn Ron Hainsey into anything at the deadline. I sure as shit hope they're not resigning him. Oh God, no, no, they're not. They're not going to resign him. Dorian's not that stupid. Yeah. Um. I felt like the player usage this game was actually much better from DJ Smith. Yeah, that's true. And actually, if no you look one at, under ten minutes. Exactly. If you look at the stat line, that's the one thing I noticed too. Right, was that a lot of players. And he was pretty even contributing a lot of the minutes where you see it's like 17, 15, 14, 16, 15 for forwards, right? And even on defense where you had like Shabbat had 20. Uh, who else had 20? Actually, Connor Brown, I think, had like 21 minutes in that game too. But No, Connor Brown was at 16. Was he at 16? What game am I? Yeah, Batherson's no, top so, playing forward. Um, no, Which sorry, is, Colorado, it's, it's the Colorado right. game I'm thinking of is where Connor Brown had, like, 20-something minutes. Um, yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that. I think when you look at the stats in the stat line, you can honestly look at the, the time on ice, and it shows that, right? So, no, I'm really glad that DJ Smith is evenly contributing, or whatever word you want to use to uh, dish out minutes, right? So I'm kind of glad he's not overly relying on his big guns, as you know, young as they may be, but he's showing that he's trying to show a little bit more confidence in his full team playing against Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, as long as we don't talk about the special teams, I think uh, he was rewarded for it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. One final note I do want to make, and of course, we got to talk about our bot, Adam, from the 3 Ghosts and Wait 4 Ghosts podcast, because usually... While he is a fan of the Winnipeg Jets, he does always support the Sens whenever they play other teams. This was not one of those games. And he tweeted at us the morning of the game. And I actually sent up on Twitter, I said, the Duke is going to snap his goalie streak at me when it happens. And he just sends me a gif of Danny DeVue shaking his head going, nope. 
I like you, Adam, but you're heartless sometimes. I mean, to be fair. Yes, yes, I know, I know. 17-game goalless streak. I know, I got you. Oh, no, I was going to more say uh, you're also the one who uh, made Neil say some pretty choice things about the Edmonton Oilers. First of all, that was Dave I made say that to, not Neil, because Neil's a Leafs fan, and Adam Uh, is a Jets fan. Actually, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't it because of us is why he's a Jets fan? I don't know. Because didn't a few years ago when we first started the podcast, he was a Leafs fan and he kind of gave up on them, so he wanted to pick a new team? And we were part of the influence. Why? It might have been, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I don't know. My memory might be serving me wrong, but I think that was kind of one of the reasons why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I was even the one who made the argument for the Jets, too. But, you know, whatevs. Whatevs, whatevs. Yeah. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up the games. If you have anything you want to comment before we head off into the close for another evening. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. We can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at N and Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8, W Y T E Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you just want to bitch about how Thomas Chavot really didn't look good against the Jets, shoot us an email, Third Line Plug says guys at gmail.com. So, Tim, you know how last week we went to war because the Sens played the Leafs? Yo, is it time for some senseless sense aggression? I think it's time to do that, Tim. I think it's time to bring back the face paint and the tanks. We're going back to war, buddy, for this week. Because we got three games this coming week. We've got Tuesday, we're in Colorado to play the Avalanche. Thursday, we're at home to play the Arizona Coyotes. And Saturday, round three, the Battle of Ontario... In Ottawa, Leafs versus Senators. It's gonna be good. For sure. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Tim Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys. Woo!